This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. I use DigitalOcean to host a side project, and I'm starting to move the hosting for my blog and this podcast off their current hosting solution to DigitalOcean. With a large selection of one-click apps, from the basics of the LAMP stack, to Ghost and WordPress for blogs, to pre-set up Docker host images, with droplets that can spin up in 55 seconds, the ability to manage SSH keys for remote access, and more, DigitalOcean makes it super easy to get your project up and running. With the ability to easily add team members, use their API to scale out your applications, and have droplets in data centers around the world, DigitalOcean is ready to take on your larger projects as well. Have a question on how to set something up with DigitalOcean? DigitalOcean has a strong community around creating documentation and tutorials as well to get you set up and running quickly. New users can get up and running on DigitalOcean for free using promo code GEEKRY, all cap, to get $10 worth of credit when you get started. This episode is sponsored by PurelyFunctional.tv. Have you been thinking about learning Clojure but don't know where to start? Would you like a fun introduction to Clojure that guides you through the difficulties of learning new concepts? Would you like to learn the fundamentals of Clojure without spending hours wading through blog post tutorials? Try the interactive courses at PurelyFunctional.tv. They teach you Clojure quickly and thoroughly using animations, exercises, and screencasts. The courses build good fundamentals and guide you to develop deep skills with the Clojure language and libraries. You can get a 25% discount by using the link purelyfunctional.tv. Proctor here with some conference announcements before we get into this week's episode. First, CodeMesh is coming up on the 3rd and 4th of November. With the Tutorials Day on the 2nd of November as well, CodeMesh London is the European conference for alternative technologies and programming languages. Expect code-heavy talks from over 50 speakers, including Sir Tony Hoare, John Hughes, Joe Armstrong, Robert Verding, Don Syme, Stefan Karpinski, Evan Zaplicki, core team members of the Hack and Rust languages, and many more. Use code FNGeekery10 for a 10% discount on the two days of conference. On the 5th and 6th of November, Recon will be taking place in San Francisco. Recon is a two-day developer conference that brings together academia and industry to discuss a variety of distributed computing topics ranging from architecting, deploying, and developing NoSQL and distributed applications. Listeners can use the code SALAND100, that's S-A-L-A-N-D-100, to get a $100 discount when you register before October 15th. On November 9th and 10th, Midwest.io will be taking place in Kansas City. Midwest.io is a two-day conference bringing together 300 developers for an eclectic collection of talks covering the latest trends, best practices, and research in the field of computing. Visit www.midwest.io to find out more. Then, coming up on February 18th and 19th in Krakow, Poland, Lambda Days will be taking place. The call for papers is open and will continue through December 1st, and early bird registration is now open as well. Visit lambdadays.org to submit your talk proposal or to register. And make sure to use code FUNKYGEEKS4 to win, that's F-U-N-K-Y-G-E-E-K-Z, the number 4, D-W-I-N, for 10% off the early bird and regular registration prices. And if you know of any other conferences around functional programming, email contact at functionalgeekery.com and I will be happy to announce them. Lastly, if you're enjoying Functional Geekery, please help spread the word. If you could leave a rating and review on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory, or even share your favorite episodes on social media, I need your help to spread the word about Functional Geekery. And if there are any guests or topics that you want to hear from or about, Please reach out and I'll put them on my notes for future episode ideas. Thank you for listening and for all your support. Welcome to Functional Geekery. I am your host, Proctor, 
And for this week's episode, we have a number of mini-interviews from ElixirConf 2015. I spent some time in the designated quiet room during the conference with the microphone set up and invited people to come by and share their experiences of ElixirConf. The door was left open, and there might be some background noise from the room and the rest of the conference, and I tried to clean it up as best as I could, but you might notice some quality issues with a few of the interviews where I couldn't either remove the background noise or trying to reduce the background noise made the recording sound a little off. With that said, though, I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm here with Leonard Fridian at ElixirConf 2015, and we're kind of in the middle of day one we're in the quiet rooms. So, do you want to tell everybody a, bit, a little bit about yourself and give a overview of what you're finding out interesting so far and what you look forward to? Absolutely. Um, I'm so I'm Bennett, and the Stockholm Elixir Meetup Group. Currently, fun employed slash on a journeyman tour, effectively meaning that I jump around between various companies, spend a couple of days with them, and, and uh, having fun with their with their development teams. And uh, primarily, I've noticed that that uh, every at every stop, people want to try out two things. One of them is Elixir. The other is mob programming and frequently both at the same time, which is great, great way of learning it. So what have you, we're halfway through the day. What have you thought was interesting so far and what do you look forward to in the next half day and following tomorrow? Well, always the hallway track. Hallway track is always the best at any conference, as you might experience yourself. Other than that, I must say that I really enjoy seeing that Elixir is standing on its own two feet. So I noticed that the people here are, it's, it's a crowd of people actually using Elixir, engaged in, 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 in the working with Elixir, building things in Elixir, exploring in Elixir. And it's not so much basically just uh, trying to find a few Erlangers that can come and tell us about how to develop things on the beam, but it's actually Elixir people. So that's, I'm really excited about seeing this here. Other than that, meeting a lot of people, of course. So, hallway track. And you've got a presentation tomorrow as well. Do you want to give everybody a little bit of rundown on the presentation and what might be what they might want to look for at when this episode goes out and find it on conference? Oh, yes. So, I'll be talking, um, I'll be having a talk called Virtually Instructional, which is a deep dive into the Beams instruction set. Mind you, I'm not one of those aforementioned Erlang Erlangers. I just um, have a, some slight masochistic tendencies of uh, enjoying assembly programming. So I got interested in sort of thinking, how does things actually work under the hood? Uh, popping it, I started seeing things that kind of surprised me. Digging down through the couple of layers of abstraction, I, I started finding things that is probably going to be, be of at least... Entertainment, entertain, have entertainment value uh, to people. Uh, is it going to be useful? Mm, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be fun. Promise you that. And how did you get to Elixir? Like so many others, I am a Ruby and Rails developer, or at least I used to be. Started looking around a couple of years ago. Uh, noticed Elixir. Started following it for for a while. Kept an eye on it. Finally decided that somewhere around the one o. Era, it was time to take the plunge, and since I know it's, it's really tricky to get into things just on your own, at least that's for me, I had to you know, form a meetup group and get a bunch of people together to start learning it. So that's basically the way I found my way into Elixir. 
have you found a lot of people being interested from the Erlang side as well in in the area? I know there's a lot stronger Erlang presence over in Europe as well than just over here in the States. So did you find a lot of Erlang presence and enthusiasm as well? Well, um, that's an interesting question. So, so, so in, in, in Stockholm, there's uh, obviously a rather strong Erlang core because you have the Ericsson OTP team there. But there's very little overlap between the Erlang meetup group and the Elixir meetup group. Partly, I think, it, it has to do uh, with that the, the, when we started the Elixir meetup group, the, there's, you had a lot of people that had no prior experience of Erlang, no prior experience of the Beam, and I actually intend, had, did a bit of that intentionally to kept it so, because I wanted to give them a safe place to tinker and, and uh, have fun and be able to give a five-minute presentation on some little detail that they've, without the fear or, uh, of having someone uh, in the room that had spent 20 years on working on the beam, calling them out as, as charlatans. Other than that, of course, that's hope, I hope to see, see Elixir and Erlang interact more. I see that Erlang Solutions is uh, doing a great job at actually bridging the two communities. But in practice, I must say that at least in Stockholm, in the Elixir and Stockholm Meetup group, primarily see people from outside the Erlang community. So in that sense, Elixir is doing a marvelous job at being a Trojan horse to bringing people onto the Beam platform. And have you been able to manage to take advantage of the Erlang community there for your learnings, just to be able to, when you need that deeper dive, and say, well, what's going on here? Yeah, well, well, partly, uh, being able being able to take take advantage of, of Joe Armstrong and have him as a, as a speaker at our meetup group, which is much easier for us since it's in the same town, I can imagine, than, than other places in the world, so... But other than that, no, not really. Not yet, at least. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time today, and I'll let you get back to your holiday track and catch any other presentations that might be coming up that look interesting to you. So thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. I'm here with Brian Cardarella. Can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm the CEO of Dockyard. We're a software consultancy based in Boston. Uh, we were lucky enough to grab the top sponsorship spot at Worcester Club this year. We started as a rail shop, dropped rails about a year and a half ago. I've been primarily an Ember JS shop for the past uh, two years or so. And about six months ago, I decided that we were going to really buy into Elixir and particularly Phoenix as our backend technology uh, that we're going to specialize in. So what kind of prompted that view of the world where you're like, okay, we got to buy into this. And why? Why was it a good business decision for us? Yes. <clears throat> so for several reasons. First, to understand that, you have to explore the reason why we dropped rails. I've been doing rails development for over a decade. I started before 1.0, and what we saw was we. So my shop started only about four years ago. We came into the, the rails game a little bit too late. We didn't really have the mind share of that space, and the contracts that we were getting were not that great. In the sense of uh, Contracts of the scale to really build a business around. Especially with the rise of code schools, we're seeing a lot of junior developers come into the space. And because Rails has done a very good job of what it's set to do, it's become more or less a commodity now to build out Rails applications. I think junior developers can do 80% of what a senior developer can do. It's that last 20% that is really difficult to do. But most of uh, the Greenfield MVP startup type applications that come to our shop 
don't necessarily need that high-level scalability just yet. And we didn't discover that we were really needing that until we started getting more into client-side application development. So we went in the way of Ember because we saw it as an opportunity to get ahead of a new framework on the front end, one that had some really smart people behind it, Yehuda, Katz, and Tom Dale from Tilda. I, uh, I've been following Yehuda for quite some time. Uh, it's very big name in the Ruby world. It was also on jQuery core team. So kind of follow him in that direction and worked out really well for us. Now, to go jump ahead in the reason why we went with Elixir Phoenix was kind of the same reason we went with Ember. Elixir was a uh, emerging technology, one that we saw an opportunity that if we were to buy into it at this point, we can make a pretty big name for ourselves or at least attempt to make it or attempting to make a big name for ourselves in that space. And Phoenix, as a framework, is very easy to migrate our previously Ruby developers, Rails developers, over to it. Despite Elixir having very big differences from Ruby, like the, the syntax is familiar enough, but it's about skin deep. Once you get past the syntax, it's a very different language. Uh, but the organization of Phoenix is very familiar to Rails developers. The router is very familiar to Rails developers. You can take any Rails developer and put them into a Phoenix application. They're going to know what's going on pretty easily. Uh, so that was a very, very simple kind of ramp up period for our guests. We actually have one pretty large contract right now where we're replacing a node backend with Phoenix. And uh, I started building up the Phoenix backend. We've had more of our developers jump into it, and they've just spent maybe a few days brushing up on Elixir basics. But they've been able to contribute back to the, uh, to the Phoenix application uh, pretty quick, which is a huge bonus to us. So we're halfway through the first day, a little, a little more. Anything interesting so far that caught your attention? I know we've had some Phoenix talks. And if you're investing in Phoenix, anything that jumped out? Or is there anything else that you're looking forward to on the next day, even? Chris Scott was really interesting. I haven't poked much around with GraphQL yet. I've heard of it. But now that Phoenix is going in that direction, I guess that's going to be my interest more. So I'll start. Any other talks coming up that you're kind of on your radar that you're kind of looking forward to? And then... Either later this afternoon or next, or it's funny, funny to say, I, I, I've looked at the talk schedule like five times. And I just don't remember. I could see I'm going like from talk to talk. So the CRD, uh, CRDT talk um, was actually really interesting to me. I think that the future for us as a shop is investing in distributed systems, hence our reason for, for going to Elixir. And so getting more into that mindset of how data is organized amongst distributed systems is something that's very interesting right now. And the fact that you're still doing web apps, which is inherently a distributed system, exactly. as much as we don't like, yeah. we don't recognize it as well, it, it becomes becomes more interested when you have a interestingly when you have a heavy client side application, but with something like Ember uh, in the mix. So now you have this very complex application on the front end that can do really interesting things and coordinate with the back end or multiple back ends. And we don't currently have, at least coming directly from Rails a really good concept on how to build out and organize those applications yet. So I'm really interested in how we're taking lessons from, from other communities, particularly Erlen. I know that React uh, has spent a lot of time on this. And I actually know, uh, he was mentioned several times during the talk, but Chris Nickel-John, uh, formerly of Show, he's from the Boston area originally, and he's spoken to me a few times about CRDTs in his last language. So it's always been on my back burner, but now it's probably something like the you know, start getting more into it. Yeah, I've seen some stuff about his coming through with Lasp and definitely looking interesting and looking to find out more yep. as time permits. So it's only got five contributors so far. So that's a real, really early language to get ahead of. Yeah. 
Is there anything else you want to let people know about, just in general? I guess uh, we're looking to build out Phoenix applications with Ember front-end. So if there's companies out there looking to do that or looking for help with that sort of thing, we're happy to help you guys out. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time, and it was great meeting you tonight. Yep, thank you. I'm here with Johnny Wynn at ElixirConf. We just finished the end of the first day and just got out of the keynote presentation. And if you hear some background noise, that's the little social hour going on down the hall. So we tried to find a quiet spot. So if you hear some noise in the background and we can't quite remove it, that's what that is. But Johnny, do you want to go ahead and introduce everyone? Yeah. I'm Johnny Wynn, uh, host of the Elixir Fountain. I've been doing Elixir now for roughly two years, I guess, going back to around uh, the spring of 2013. I was here at the last ElixirConf, really happy to be here at the second one. And just the amount that the Elixir community has grown in the past year is just amazing. So. so what attracted you to Elixir at first, since you've been here even on the first one, and that was still pretty early days of Elixir, relatively speaking? So when I first started looking at it, I was kind of like just looking for something. I had been a developer doing, you know, I started way back, way back. I'm not that old, but, you know, like way back, like you doing Perl and CGI and got into PHP for a while. And then I spent about 10 years doing .NET, did both VB and C Sharp, but I was always like looking for something more. And then I found Ruby and I really enjoyed coding in Ruby. I liked a lot of the freedom that it gave you, like the environment that I could actually code in, but I still wasn't quite there. It's like there was something else I was missing. It didn't have everything that I wanted. I, I really enjoyed it. I still like Ruby, but I, there was just wasn't everything. And so I started looking at languages like Clojure. I had looked at Erlang, and they just, for some reason, they just didn't stick. It was like, you know, I would like pieces of them, but like, you know, I didn't like with Clojure. Whereas like the first thing that I did was I had to bring in a Java library to do something. I was like, well, that doesn't feel functional to me. That feels like I'm putting a functional facade on uh, Erlang was great. The problem I had with Erlang was at the time, of course, and being immersed in the Ruby community and coming from .NET, I was trying to figure out, like, how would I be building things with this? You know, how am I going to convince the rest of the people around me that it's a good idea to build Erlang applications? And then I stumbled on Elixir. And really, when I first stumbled on Elixir, it was, it was very early days, and it was, you know, there wasn't a whole lot going on. I think basically it was Elixir and Dynamo were the two things that were there, and everything else was non-existent. But I started working with it and I just really enjoyed, like all of a sudden I like rocked everything functional. It's like, okay, this all makes sense now. It's a language that I'm not caught up in the syntax of. I'm not having to worry about anything else. I can literally just code and just understand and watch the flow of the problems and read it very similar to what drew me to Ruby. And then, of course, right about that same time, Dave Thomas announced the programming Elixir book. And uh, I picked that up in early, early beta. And then I flew to Mexico. And on the way to Mexico, I read what was available and everything like that. And I was actually going to give a talk. And on my way down there, I was like, I don't even want to do my talk now. I want to do, <laughs> I want to do an Elixir talk. Everybody should hear about this. And I think I spent that summer writing a couple of different libraries. There was some things that I encountered, dates, times with Erlang that were just like, just hard to deal with. And so I think that was like one of the first libraries I wrote was a library called Kronos that just all it did was date and time formatting so that I can do, I guess, more friendly date times type things and started giving talks back in around November that year and been trying to tell everybody I can. And right about the same time I started Elixir Fountain as a newsletter. And I was doing a weekly newsletter where I was emailing out just things that were happening in the community and stuff like that. And then of course, after several months of doing that, almost a year probably, I, I kind of had it on hiatus because life was just, you know, there was a lot going on at the time. So it was kind of hard to keep up with it. And, you know, and that's kind of 
what got me in and got me kind of going doing the fountain. And then I ended up doing the podcast because it was like, all right, I need to do something. I've got like, you know, there's people following some town. I've, you know, kind of started trying to communicate and introduce people to Elixir. And so I was like, you know, podcast seems like a great idea. And what kind of drew you to the newsletter at first? What was the thing that kind of sparked that idea for someone who's coming in and saying, I feel something's missing. Like, what did you feel was missing that you felt the newsletter would help bring out well, why you felt compelled to do it? Well, one of the things that I, I've learned early on is a lot, a lot of the success of something is based on how it's marketed. If nobody knows that it exists, then there's nobody's going to use it. And so that was one of the things that wasn't there at the time. But there were people writing articles and things like that around that same time. Elixir Dose came around. So there was, there was like blog posts that were kind of steady. And then, of course, you had the ones popping up, plus announcements on the language and things like that. So I kind of got into doing that. I was like, you know, somebody needs to be the, just the voice that's saying, hey, these things are happening. You should come check it out. And so that's really kind of what I got into it is just, you know, just trying to yell to everybody that I could talk to, you know, everybody that would hear my voice, you know, basically, hey, check this thing out. So that's kind of really what got me into it. And just speaking of marketing, we'll not go into the full story, but you did have a brilliant marketing style of creating the hashtag. <laughs> I don't know if it was brilliant, that it was lazy. <laughs> well, we'll let people find out more later about your, why you think it's lazy, but more of the brilliant fact of... That there is a status out there of hashtag my elixir status. So it's easy, easily searchable for anybody if they're kind of curious of saying what's out there in the community. So kudos, kudos on that well, because that's you. something that I think is very useful when I kind of peek in and try and figure out what's going on in elixir. Just when I try and keep the pulse on other languages, I don't see that. And that's something that I think has helped. Well, and I think it's almost, it, it's kind of, I don't know if this sounds like grandiose, but I mean, it's, it's giving a voice to people that typically wouldn't have, you know, a lot of times you get into a language and you're doing something, maybe, you know, you know, the small people in your circle and you don't have any way of saying, Hey, I'm working on this cool thing. And you're not going to start a newsletter. And what are you, you know, yeah, maybe you start a blog or something like that, but how do you get that information out to people to say, Hey, this is what I'm working on. These are the cool things that I found. And I think that's really where it fit in. It was like, Hey, over here, I'm working on Elixir. Check this out. And it really gave a lot of people an idea to say, Hey, if I say something, people will catch my ideas. And, you know, and the community's really responded to it. I mean, it was kind of crazy. I was even like watching today. You know, typically when you go to a conference, you see a lot of conference, insert conference name here. Yeah. It was, I was like, my Elixir status at Elixir.com. <laughs> it's like just going down the chain. I mean, it was, it, it's great. I, I love to see that it's grown as, to what it has. So. So we're here. We've just finished the first day. Was there anything that kind of excited you about what you saw today? And then after that, anything that you're looking forward to tomorrow other than a special something as well at the end of the conference? Well, yeah. So one of the things that I really enjoyed in Chris McCord's talk, and then Jessica, she kind of talked about it a little bit more, is like, what comes after NBC? And this is a question that I've kind of been asking myself for a while now. It's like, MVC is great and it, and it works great in most cases, but there seems like there should be this other thing. There's like a next step that maybe that we should take. I haven't actually been able to like quantify that myself. Like I haven't been able to express it, but seeing them, you know, especially on the Phoenix team, looking at new ways of interacting with your service layer, you know, where it's not just, you're not just throwing REST APIs up to that, you know, and it's not necessarily streaming. It's a really kind of dictating from a client perspective, like what comes in and how it comes back out. Some of the GraphQL stuff that they're mentioning, I mean, that was really interesting to me just because it was more of like putting a name on something that I had been kind of looking for for a while. You know, MVC is great. I mean, it works 
It's an older design pattern as far as, you know, application development goes. And, you know, it's been around for a while. It's stable. You know what it is. But it's really to see, like, it take that next step. Like, we have all this power with Elixir. We can do these things. It is data transformation. And you can pass something in and get something back out. And it doesn't necessarily have to sit behind a REST API, you know. So that was one of the things that I really enjoyed today hearing about. And of course, the Elm talk. Elm is one of those things that I know absolutely nothing about. I used to do more front-end development, but basically I've been like back in development for quite a while now. And so I don't always have my eye on like what's happening. So to see the Elm talk today was really cool. It's like, you know, they're, they're actually doing some really cool things. It's just a matter of kind of seeing where that grows and where it goes to. That would be great. And tomorrow, tomorrow should be an interesting day for me because... <laughs> I'm going to try to catch a couple of talks. There's some ones that I want to see, but at the same time, I'm kind of planning for the end of the day is which we'll be doing an Elixir Fountain live. So the Elixir Fountain podcast, you know, we've, we've gone weekly now. And so we're going to be doing the closing panel where we're going to have a few panel members. I'm keeping that hush hush until I keep the episodes always kind of quiet as far as who's going to be on it. So it's like a guessing game. People are kind of looking forward to it. So. But yeah, it should be good fun. I mean, it'll be a good time. We'll get some of the great speakers up on stage. And we're actually going to try something a little different because one of the companies uh, here, actually Bruce Tate's company, has a product that is, is written in Elixir. And it's like a real-time chat survey type app. And so we're going to kind of run that during the podcast. So I'll be able to see and the audience will be able to see the interactions on, on the screens while we're kind of having the interview. And so, But we'll be able to pose questions and we'll be able to see like, Oh, the audience member has asked this without having a mic switch and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that goes. I look forward to seeing how that experiment turns <laughs> yes. out, especially as someone who does a podcast on my own. Yeah. Well, I, well, when he first posed the idea, all I could see is like, this is, I can't even read them. They're coming up so fast. So we'll see. Hopefully it's not too bad. Well, I'll let you get back to the little socialization after the after okay. party. And everybody, if you're into Elixir, check out Elixir Fountain and follow that account and Find that feed on your favorite podcast directory. And if I lose you for Elixir Fountain, then uh, <laughs> I lose you for Elixir Fountain. But it's definitely worth checking out if you're interested in Elixir. Well, thank you for having me on. Thanks, Parker. Thanks, Johnny. I'm here with Lakeda Sprinkle at the end of the day of the Elixir Conf. So do you want to give everybody an introduction to yourself? Okay. My name is Lakeda, and I work at CSD. It's communication services for the deaf. We are interested in Elixir. So that kind of prompted me to looking into it a little more, start going to the meetups and saw the conference come up and just told them I wanted to be on board with it. They sent me over. So that's how I started with it. <laughs> so relatively new then. And yes. getting, just digging your feet into Elixir. Yes. As is. My background is .NET. So I come from, I mean, the very beginning is Cold Fusion to C-sharp desktop apps. Most recently, at the company I'm at now, I'm doing a lot of legacy maintaining, some classic ASP. Oh, yeah, CRMs, a lot of that. So we're kind of just holding them in this state, kind of band-aiding them until we can actually rewrite them. And so I would like to see if we can rewrite them next year so. So you kind of jumped at the chance. You're like, I'll take this other language that I've never heard of if it means I can stop it. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you were at the training yesterday, and you were in Bruce Tate and Eric Meadows Johnson's testing and kind of more of an introduction to Elixir training. How did you find that as you were going through that? I liked it a lot. I liked the pace that they went at. You know, they kind of 
introduced each one of the concepts to us and we did a lab on it where we paired with another maybe more experienced developer who knew Elixir. So that actually helped me take it in these bite-sized chunks and see this grow into something useful. I did expect more of testing. I thought it would be TDD driven. So I thought we'd start off with this test and then code to it to get it to pass. So I'm actually thinking about trying that again at home this weekend, starting over with the labs and starting in that approach and see if I get the same results I did while pairing with someone in the class. So That's neat. Yeah, I didn't even think about doing that because I know the feedback at the end of it was everybody enjoyed it. Everybody found it was useful. Yes. The name was a little bit off. Yeah. And so, and I know Bruce Tate said, that's on me. Sorry, that's yeah. my bad. But because I know you were right around me because I decided to hop in that one thinking it was more of the testing course as well. And so I was like, okay, this is a little more, I'm, I've kind of done some of these other exercises on my own. So let me help float around. And I, you were behind me and I got to see yes. you and kind of like, again, get with some fresh eyes. Some people were just now coming into Elixir and that was actually kind of refreshing as well and seeing some of those sticking points and seeing where some yeah. of that stuff was. So where things aren't clear. Whereas now pattern matching has sunk in with you. Whereas with me, I'm still like that. Like, I, I just don't get it. What are we doing again? You know, so I'm still trying to absorb it and understand it quickly. But you seem to be making good progress. And a number of other people, when they said, who here has had an experience that, <laughs> that I was around, seem to at least be able to pick it up relatively straightforwardly for having six hours of most of the time of first touch of Elixir. Yeah, that was where my response was. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> Other languages may take a lot of rereading and rereading to be like, what are we doing here? What is Whereas you can easily just look at it and understand exactly what what's going on. So that's a big plus for me. So is there anything that stood out today as any of the talks that kind of like excited you or made you kind of think, this is interesting or I'm going to have to find out more or even just after your interest in Elixir that much more than what you've seen through work? Well, our the first talk with Bruce kind of set the pace. So I was like, okay, looking forward to what's to come. Already thinking how far we've come and thinking towards the future. Then Jessica kind of came in and picked that up and said, yeah, let's think towards the future what we're going to do. And actually, you know, I don't get the opportunity to contribute to a lot of projects, but the way she said, I mean, it just kind of made sense. I always thought, I can't, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there I haven't done. There's not, maybe there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of sites out there that maybe they're looking for this. And so I, I just kind of veered away from it. But both those talks got me thinking to every level, there's someone at every level that can help someone below them. And so I'm actually looking forward to that, thinking of actually tomorrow, joining this energy that they gave me to see Wendy's talk about how do I contribute to Elixir and feeling so excited about that. Well, I look, I look forward to seeing if you if you take that advice and look forward to any blog post or anything that that might inspire you to write yeah, about something. the future. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm excited about doing that. So you mentioned Wendy's talk tomorrow. I believe it's in getting an introduction to contributing to Elixir and Phoenix or something roughly along those lines. Yes. A, what makes that interesting? And B, are there any other kind of talks tomorrow that you're looking forward to that seems interesting to me? Well, hers I'm interested because I haven't contributed to any other open source. I mean, within my own companies and where I've worked, but not outside. So just actually having someone kind of walk you through that from the beginning and 
the things you're scared of and what you're worried about touching. And, and I think she even goes on and says, you can start off simple with just documentation. You know, start small and build into things if you're uneasy at first. So that's why I'm actually looking forward to that. And of course, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the morning when we start off with Jose. Yeah, I, from Jose to how to contribute, the streams and external services, interoperability, these things are like right in line with what we're trying to do. I mean, even with the myriad of legacy apps that I maintain, essentially they're all kind of looking at the same information and they just all want it presented differently. There's like no reason to have all these tiny little pocket apps that we have now because they're just different developers that, uh, you know, came on. And then finishing up with composable queries. So at heart, I love data, so I'm excited to kind of get my hands more on that and see, okay, how functional am I going to be with Ecto? How am I going to use my existing knowledge with Ecto and be productive in that? Well, that sounds great. Sounds like tomorrow at least has a track between both tracks that's right up your alley all the way through for you. So. Look forward to seeing what comes out of this and catching up with you in the future, possibly just either through your blog post that if you start doing sharing your learnings or whatever else may come about. So it was a pleasure talking with you today and I'll let you get back to the activities. Thank you. Still end of day one here with Scott Hamilton. Scott, do you want to kind of give everybody a little bit of rundown about yourself and we'll go into how you got into Elixir and came to ElixirConf? Sure. Well, you know, I started programming in college, started after college in .NET, C-sharp.net, and then eventually made my way to Ruby and started working on an e-commerce app on Rails and Spree, if you're familiar, anyone's familiar with that project. And then spent a lot of time kind of bouncing around, did some consulting, this project, that project. And then, you know, long story short, I got introduced to Elixir for the first time at Lone Star Ruby Conf, because it was held here, the same conference center, 2012, I think it was? 2012? That sounds about right. I think that would have been six. Yeah. So that's when Dave Thomas did his presentation on Elixir, and uh, I was like, what is this thing? Elixir. Pretty interesting. Looked at his book, and I definitely felt it was really compelling, but I didn't really know how to use it in my day-to-day work at the time. You know, things were very young, it's pre-1.0, and... Still, it was fun to play around with, and there's a lot of buzz with it. And then, you know, fast forward, I've kind of kept my finger on the pulse of the project and what's going on, the tooling. And now it's really started to reach a maturity where I now confidently say, like, I can use this to make my job better and get the work done that I need to get done. So how did you come across ElixirConf? It's down here, down in Austin, where you're from. Did you manage to make the last one as well, or is this your first one? No, I didn't make it. Yeah, I didn't make it last year. I can't remember why. It might have been ACL. <laughs> I think I had ACL tickets or something. Uh, and I was like, well, ElixirConf seems like fun, but I already have tickets for ACL. And so I didn't make it last year. And then also that at that time, I was still, I don't think I had as much of a focus on it. Where I said I I need to be using this, or I really want to be using this on my day to day work. Yeah, so this is my you know my first year, and since I started to get my focus on Elixir, it was easy at local Elixir meetup because Jim goes there and and all the other usual suspects in the Elixir Austin Elixir community. 
So it was pretty much in my face to come here. So you hit the training day yesterday as well. And that was the testing with Bruce Tate and Eric Meadows Johnson. Yes. So what do you think of that one? How did you find that as a good intro to Elixir, since that's kind of more of the focus and not as much on testing, which they owned up to, but how did you find that as kind of getting in and getting more familiarity with the language? Definitely felt good. I have been kind of piddling around with it and working on various pieces and reading and things, but it cemented that I definitely knew some things. Like, okay, great. I can work through these problems. Like, oh, I know something. Because, you know, uh, we got these scenarios where it was complete this, complete this, complete this. And a few other areas where I was lacking, obviously. And that was fine. So it actually was kind of good to get judgment on where I'm at. Although I think also then the feedback was how to do this a little bit better, which was well received. I, I was, you know, the instructors seemed to be very open to that feedback. And I think then also, for me, it made me think about the kind of structure I would want to see, again, on a getting started with Elixir, which, not going into the details, but effectively kind of more of given a script, but then, you know, some of the pieces missing and fill in these pieces. I think that's kind of like a compelling way to learn, especially in like a classroom setting. We're again, we're at the end of the first day. Was there anything that you kind of took away as big ideas or anything that really interested you, sold you, resold you on the idea of Elixir and its practicality now after today? Yeah, I'm sure this will come up a lot, but Chris's talk was pretty interesting. I did his Phoenix training here in August, and so that was great. It went pretty fast, and there was a lot of more advanced current Elixir users that were running production apps in, with Phoenix and Elixir. So that course went really fast. But it was nice that he actually went into kind of detail about where he sees Phoenix going. And I thought that was pretty bold. So I kind of envy that. And he, you know, admittedly said, I don't have this all ironed out and let's work through this together. This is where I see this going. The Phoenix and Elm talk was pretty neat. I thought that was really cool how that was laid out and how functional programming can be applied to JavaScript and client-side and makes more sense. Although I didn't miss, I guess I missed out on the Phoenix iOS talk with the Apple Watch. I didn't go to that one, but my friend did, and she said it was really, really fun talk. I think the applications of where you could say it's not just an iPhone, but with your Apple Watch and what you can do with that and connecting all these apps together. That I think I guess I'll have to watch on the video that comes out. Yeah, that's the nice thing about being here is if I feel compelled to go to one and the other one looks really interesting, I don't I'm like, okay, this one slightly wins because I know I can still go watch the other one soon enough on the conference and yeah. catch that. So. And, and Jessica's closing talk was great. I thought it was really fun. She's pretty energetic and I've heard her on other podcasts before and uh, definitely I think framed up a lot of what we're currently looking at as developers in a mixed field of OO and functional and then where we're going and maybe where we need to be. That was nice. It was fun. Anything standing out offhand that you can think of for tomorrow that looks really interesting and attractive? Uh, well, I'm kind of blanking on the exact schedule right now. The embedded uh, Elixir talk, that one looked really cool because I did a lot of primarily web work, but I'm like, well, how can I apply this to things other than 
web applications, I think would be pretty neat. Well, that sounds good. So thank you for taking your time out of the day to talk with me and give me a little rundown of what you thought of ElixirConf and share it with the listeners. You're welcome. I'm here with Jeff Weiss. We're pretty much getting close to the end of the second half of the day of the second day of ElixirConf. So we're creeping in towards the end. I think there's a session or two more and then a panel. So what have you thought about ElixirConf so far and what were some of the highlights? It's been great for me. I think some of the really interesting things that we're seeing this year are a lot more people deploying production applications and how to get your app from like it's running on my laptop to actually deployed into Heroku, deployed to EC2 or some internal data center. So you say this year, does that mean you were able to make it to the ElixirConf last year? I wanted to, but I didn't have enough notice to either one, convince the financial powers that be either at work or at home. But I did speak at ElixirConf EU okay. crack out in April, and that was a fantastic experience. What was your presentation at the ElixirConf EU one for anybody who wants to go and check that one out? Yeah, it was around sort of what I had done to have a non-trivial project for getting used to Erlang and Elixir. I had had two previous failed starts with Erlang and stopped mostly not because of syntax, but because I didn't have a real project to sort of apply it. And so this time when I hit Elixir, I said, I need a project to work on. And I just decided to work on an IRC bot. And so I used Paul Schoenfelder's XIRC library and built a couple bots because I wanted to see like, when would I use ETS versus amnesia or a database or just keeping things in my own internal memory structure versus how do I distribute like broadcast messages that are coming in from IRC to all of my separate processes, like one for points, one for Markov engine, one for random quotes, those sorts of things. Okay. Were there any talks here either today or yesterday they that kind of put something else on your radar and either took was an important takeaway from you or that stood out or was it just all just general information and general goodness that everything was fantastic? There certainly have been a few things that have stood out to me. So one was the keynote from Jose this morning, particularly around the demand-driven pipelines. And for me, that was particularly interesting and I'm excited about it, partly because of my work history in manufacturing. So this appears to me much like a Kanban system in lean manufacturing. And so I'm excited to sort of apply the things and solve problems from a former life to making this work in Elixir. And then I was just in the Date Times talk. And God bless him for making those libraries because Date Times are the worst. And he exposed how they're even worse than I thought they were (laughs) before. And then you did the advanced Elixir training you were telling me. How did you find that to go? It was fantastic. There was quite a bit around channels that I didn't know. And if nothing else, just seeing Chris live code and debug for whatever that was, seven or nine hours was fantastic. Chris is always really interesting to work with. I had a a great chance to bounce some ideas off of him when, when we were both in Krakow. And so following up with some of the more Interesting things around channels and broadcasting and the pub sub layers for channels was interesting in the, the training. And then you just gave a little bit of a lightning talk at the end because everybody was asking you, because you're apparently using Elixir in production and on top of just using it, you're actually deploying it 
using release packaging as well. So do you want to kind of give a rundown? Sure. For that? Yeah, I, I had talked to a couple of people after their sessions yesterday around how they were deploying to production. And a lot of them just seem to be either pushing the code directly to the production machine or doing OTP tarball releases. And the OTP tarball releases, they're great. However, for us, like our ops people have enough to worry about without any sort of Erlang specific things. And when I was trying to convince them to, one, to allow me to write things in Elixir and to deploy them to production because they're the ones who have to maintain them. I wanted to make it as easy as possible for them to deploy the application and configure it once it was there. And so since I work at Puppet, we of course use Puppet for deploying all of our applications. And so since I talked to other people about it, I, I wanted to bring in like the release portions as well, the packaging, so that once those system packages are created, there are no external dependencies because the OTP release tarball pulls in even the Erlang runtime. So that's that's great. We have a CI system. It runs, um, since we're using the same artifact location between builds, it generates the app ups for us. So we can just deploy the tarball contents via the system package to a specific location. And then when we run, there's an after install shell script that we run as part of the package, it will do the application upgrade for us. Yeah, I saw that and it was a, looked like a really neat and nice way to do it. And I had messed with it a little bit not the puppet way, but just some other ways, just playing yeah. from Erlang. And my yeah. background is like, that looks like a nice way to just get that deployed and out there as well. If you're not needing to do the hot code upgrades, but just right, we could start and stop and we can allow downtime, but we just want right. to take advantage of everything else that it gets us. Yeah. So what I didn't talk about during the lightning talk is that there's a way to configure the service to not reset itself when it sees configuration changes or package upgrades. And certainly you can override the refresh option of when you see a configuration change or the new package is installed, run this specific command instead. Since that's not necessary for what we're doing, like I let it bounce the service and it's no big deal. Yeah. But the pipeline, once it was set up, and it didn't take us that long to actually get going, we push changes and they show up in production once all the tests pass. And it's great. We don't have to worry about packages or even... We do a git push just like we would if we were deploying to Heroku and it shows up in our production environment after all the tests are run. So that sounds great. So is there anything else you want to let people know about? about hiring. The, you're hiring? Yeah. So I've tweeted out a link a couple of times. I'm at Jeff Weiss on Twitter. Well, all the things. But also puppetlabs.com slash jobs. It should be listed there. Senior software dev. Does that mean you're hiring remote as well? For the right candidate, Yes. It's certainly possible. The preference would be to have the entire dev team, because we're so small, in Portland. Okay. But certainly for someone who has certain obligations wherever they are because of family or whatever, with a eye towards eventually moving to Portland or the whole team becoming distributed, we'll figure that out for if we have the perfect candidate. Well, you've got an audience and you may have more <laughs> applicants than you know what to do with. So That would be great. It would be an awesome problem to have. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Steve. I'm here with Alan Gardner at the pretty much close of the second day of ElixirConf. We got a little bit more left, but we're creeping up on there. So, Alan, do you want to kind of give everybody a little bit of quick overview about yourself? Uh, yeah, hi. I'm a developer, mostly in Rails just now, but also playing around with Phoenix and Elixir and Elm, which I spoke about yesterday. And I'm across from Edinburgh in Scotland. Uh, so far, 
and finding the conference absolutely amazing. Um, a great meeting of minds, lots of people talking about lots of interesting things, a lot of parallels as well, which is awesome. And Austin itself is just one of the best cities I've ever been to. Um, it's a crazy place. So you had Elm and Phoenix. So that's an interesting combination. I can see where they would align, but how did you kind of get into both of those, especially coming from more of the Rails background? How did you kind of get into either one, which I don't know which one started first. So, <laughs> uh, to, to be fair, uh, and I should mention uh, up front, I'm not affiliated, um, but it's Pragmatic uh, Studios and Pragmatic uh, Programmers Books as well. Dave Thomas's book got me into Elixir, and then through looking at web frameworks like Dynamo, I ended up with Phoenix. Um, so that's how I kind of got interested in that. I've been kicking the tires in Phoenix for a while. Then Elm, I heard about uh, Mike Clark's course on Pragmatic Studios probably about a month and a half ago now. I went through that and completely fell in love with Elm um, because it's got such a beautiful syntax and it's a really nice and succinct way of dealing with um, graphical user interfaces. And because of the fact I was looking at doing some stuff at Slack time, I thought, well, why don't I see if I can put these two together? And it seems like channels in Phoenix would be really good fit with Elm and um, its functional reactive paradigm. Yeah, I was right. It, um, it, they will both work very well together. There's still a little bit that we need to work through. And we started off a discussion on Elm Discuss, the, the Google mailing list to see if we can get all of the people that have been talking about Elm at this conference and have been talking about it offline as well uh, to kind of come together and, and see what we can do. It sounds, between your talk and some people overhearing it, it sounded like there seems to be a lot of excitement for mm. looking at getting the two integrated. So Yeah, and, and, and not just from the, the case of actually getting you know Elm as a front end for a Phoenix app, there's also the likes of um, you know, what can... Uh, Elixir learn from Elm, what can Elm learn from Elixir, so things like concurrency models have been talked about, for example. One of the things I really like about the Elixir community and the Elm community is there's a real focus on doing things right, um, to make sure that we've got the right thing, the right abstraction to start off with, so that we can go on from a good foundation. So yeah, really loving that. So is there anything interesting that you've seen in your day and a half or so that kind of stood out as really other exciting? I don't know, there's been so much really. I think the thing that just really has been my overall impression is just the friendliness and the openness of both the, the conference and just Austin as a whole. Yeah, it's been really great. So are you actually getting to use any of this in your stuff? You said you had some slack time coming up. Is that stuff that is kind of you're trying to bring it back into your work or is this just all stuff that you're playing with on the side and just realizing you're trying to get a good grasp on it first before you try and bring it in? <laughs> the Elm stuff is probably side project style stuff just now, just because we're, we're kind of trying to see how it will fit in. Um, but Phoenix and Elixir know very much as soon as we have the opportunity to, to go with a project and put it into production. Then we it's a really exciting project. It fits really well with the way that we do web development these days. Um, you know, it takes off a number of corners that have been causing issues. So, so yeah, we're just looking for the excuse, basically. And it sounds like you have, just from that, it sounds like you have a whole team there that's really excited about it. And it's not, yeah. it's not just you having to come in and say, look, people, this is really cool. <laughs> this may be something we need to look at. And now I have to tell you, it sounds like, so you're saying you've got some people there bought in just trying to find the right project to make it fit. Yeah, the, the company I work for Cultivate. We came out of a, of a history, um, we were a part of Edgecase originally, who were one of the, you know, the founding Rails companies or the consultancies that were using Rails, um, and then through Neo and now to, to Cultivate as we are now. So there's been very much a drive to kind of keep 
our eye on what's happening and see what exciting changes are out there, Phoenix is definitely that. So I'm really lucky. I mean, my, my boss, everybody else at the company is really keen behind uh, Elixir and Phoenix to make sure that we can run them. Well, is there anything else you want to let people know and kind of calls to action that you want people to be involved in? If I don't know if there's anything that you're doing with the Elm or Phoenix, if people are interested in either of those combined, check it out or just anything else in general that you want to make sure people know about. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, uh, we've started the conversation on Elm Discuss. There was a, a bit of conversation happening in Elixir Lang as well around getting Elm and Phoenix working together. And anything the two communities can learn from one another as well would be awesome. Um, that would be really good to get done. The slides from my talk will be available at some point. I'm going to be putting some blog posts out soon. Uh, soon. So if you follow Cultivate HQ on Twitter, you'll find out where the links to my talk are, the videos, the code that goes along with it, and there's some tutorials that I'm putting together as well for getting started with Phoenix. That sounds like a great, good overview, and I'll definitely be looking to check those out. Thank you very much. So thank you for stopping by, and I'll let you get back to the last little bit of the conference. Thanks very much, Nick. I'm here with Kyle Oba at the end of, getting close to the end of ElixirConf. So Kyle, do you want to let everybody know about you and then how did you kind of get exposed to Elixir? Sure. By the way, I'm a big fan of your podcast. So thanks. Thanks for that. So I'm from uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. I uh, got into Elixir by way of, I think, seeing a talk by Jose Valim on uh, just kind of introducing the language. And then um, also when, uh, simultaneously, I guess I saw that the programming Elixir book came out by Dave Thomas. And then also, I think, those two things combined, plus the metaprogramming book by uh, Chris McCord. When I saw the metaprogramming book, it sort of made me think, okay, this looks really interesting to me because I'm, I'm really interested in closure and Lisp. And so it was really exciting to see that there's this language that a lot of people are really excited to adopt, I guess, based on syntax. And well, I mean, not necessarily based on syntax, but they aren't freaked out by tons of parentheses or something like that. But then you still have this uh, sort of metaprogramming power of the Elixir macro system. So, that's kind of what made me excited and kind of, kind of got me to dive in. And then once I saw what OTP can do, um, that made me, you know, think, oh, this is this is really really cool. And then of course there's Phoenix, and you know, kind of goes on from there. You just kind of you're like a kid in a candy store, and you're looking at all these things that uh, you have access to and you want to learn about. So we've at the end of the second day. We've been two days. Did you manage to hit the training day as well or not? Yeah, I went to the advanced lecture class at Christmas Court. How did you find that one? Oh, that's really cool. Um, I really enjoyed it. I actually went to the, the other one that he did before the Lone Star Ruby conference, and so it was a little bit of review, but also for me it was just kind of cool to do a little bit of seeing it two different ways. So we built the, uh, I'm sure you've heard about it, but we built the collaborative uh, document editor, sort of like the Google Docs clone, and this time we did it in a day, so it was really pretty impressive to see how much that you can do. Uh, and yeah, just, just pretty impressive to see how much functionality you can, you can kind of stuff into a, into a really dynamic web app in just a day of coding. I've heard good things about it, and the fact that a day of stuff, the on-ramp is, while it may take you a little while to get to the on-ramp, once you get there, you can be really productive really quickly, just more of getting familiar with the syntax and starting to understand the way of thinking and working in the OTP mindset. Right, yeah, I mean, the language and then OTP and then uh, Phoenix provide you with so much. I think Chris made a joke that, that we spent probably a lot of time in JavaScript because that's where we had to do a lot of the more of the heavy lifting for the on the client side. 
so yeah, I mean, it's just like just kind of a cool testament to sort of the framework and the, and the language and everything that you have available to you in the Lecture community and the Erlang community that you can get so much done so fast. So you did the training, and then we've had two days now. I think there may be one. We're in the middle of the break before the last session, and then the panel that follows from Elixir Fountain. But what have you found that jumped out that kind of was either surprising or kind of invigorating across all the atten sessions you've attended? You know, people people have been asking me on Twitter. You know, you know what what are, what are the videos I should look out for? Or, you know, even just people here, they're saying, you know, what did you look at yesterday, or what did you see yesterday? What what did you like? And it's kind of, it's really hard for me to choose. So I've been throwing out. Wow. Oh, man, I'm going to blank on names. Man. Um, but the, the Undead Labs, the guy from Undead Labs who did the uh, sort of like production elixir. I think that was the Jamie Windsor. Yeah, Jamie, I was going to say Jamie Windsor. Really enjoyed that talk. Sort of like a roadmap for everything that you want to do the right way. You know how to do it the right way when you when you end up in production. The CRDT T's talk, I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, not coming with just a really basic understanding of what CRDTs are for and not even what they are. Uh, I found that talk really interesting. Yeah, there's so many that I really enjoyed. Um, but then also, you know, the keynotes were really good. I uh, really enjoyed them. But, you know, one thing from this morning, you know, Rudy Valim's keynote that I really found really interesting was that he's kind of explaining how this all is playing out from version 1.0 to 1.1 to 1.2, 1.3. And it's just a really interesting journey, I guess, to see how that's all playing out and just kind of remembering what was going on when he originally was talking about doing, like, sort of like the parallelism I can't remember what he called it before. And then I think I remember hearing Joe Armstrong make a comment to him saying, you know, maybe you don't necessarily want to move the data to the functions. Maybe you want to move the functions to the data. And, and just seeing all ideas coming in from, you know, Akka. And, then, and I guess I'm familiar with transducers from Clojure, but it kind of feels a lot like that when you look at streams. And then, yeah, it, just, just seeing this all being, like, woven together over time, uh, it's really cool. Just so it kind of gives you, like, a excitement or a confidence in sort of where everything is going. Uh, yeah. There's a trajectory, and it's really exciting. And I've heard a lot of people talk about, it's like, well, the two conferences are going. Are there, did you have that experience? And you're like, well, at least they're recorded on Confreak, so I can make sure I can go back and catch. Yeah, that's always a, a thing, right? When you go to conferences, you have to make the choice. I spend way too much time just like staring at the descriptions when I know I can just go watch them. But I, I, I like it that way, I guess, because then you feel like you can you get a choice, I suppose. So yeah, I don't have a problem with that at all, really. And then, you know, sometimes it's clear to me. I want to, you know, like today I said, I, I just made a conscious decision. I wanted to go to as many things about the beam as possible until it just kind of blew my mind and then I couldn't take it anymore. But, you know, like, oh, yours was one of those, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. so it was really, it was really cool because I've never really gone too deep into Erlang. So anyway, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I, I like it that way. I like having the dual tracks. Yeah, and I was thinking more like the two tracks are kind of going on side by side. I'm uh -huh. like, there's that relief of, well, they are recorded too, so if, this is a tough one. This is like 5149 kind of thing, and I'm going to feel bad if I miss that one. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It, 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 you're always wondering, you know, am I in the right talk or, you know, that, that kind of thing. Especially when, you know, for me, you know, this is all very new. So, but it, it didn't really bother me. I actually kind of enjoyed being able to make that decision yeah. or make a decision. With that size again, and then you have the reassurance that I can always go back and watch the other one when they come out, right? Right, yeah, that's, that's, that's really, really cool. At least, it seems like these days, the videos come out really fast, so you don't really have this giant risk associated with you know choosing one or the other. Um, yeah, so getting those videos from conferences is, is really great, and I just usually just download them in my machine and watch them at various speeds depending on <laughs> how fast people talk. Yeah, anyway, yeah. So I use that YouTube DL binary, whatever it's called. It's that, that's kind of changed my 
like learning really I have the freedom to just kind of like download stuff and then play it back whenever I want that all sounds good and I will let you get back to the last sessions and since it looks like they're about to start back up so I'll make sure I don't steal you from yet another valuable session okay thank you very much thanks thank for being yeah thank you yeah, you're welcome